This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. Man, we had a phenomenal, I said this at the beginning, but we had a phenomenal Friday night. We're starting to have like just this, there's this influence that's starting to just run like crazy and all over the city. People are when you start having ministries cancel their events to join your events, God is doing something amazing because you are overcoming the territorial spirit with hunger. And some people get so territorial, man, and we're not trying to be that way. We're just trying to advance the kingdom. And we had a young couple that, a young couple of ladies that um, they run a, a Friday night uh, young adults group where they pack out their home and they have... The first Friday of every month, they've canceled theirs to join. Well, they haven't canceled it. They said, we're going to the gate. And so all these young adults are pouring in and filling the house. And I love it, man. I love it. All right. You got to give me a few minutes. I'm running a little slow this morning. But I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, This sermon is for everybody that knows a woman. It's for everybody that knows a woman. So I think we're going to get everybody in on this. But I want to talk to you this morning about equipping, empowering powerful women. And this is not just a message for women because this is a message that if more men got it, we would yeah. need this message of probably a little less. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you a few things. I'm just going to, if I can do anything, get through two or three scriptures that we're going to take on. And, one of the, and um, maybe be able to take a few of them that are so misunderstood that people use, like, you know making, you know, submit woman, those kind of scriptures and say, what did that actually mean? How many of you know that I just don't see the good, good father in heaven with the attitude, submit woman? (laughs) At least I know all the women will amen me this morning. So uh, (laughs) listen, man, my wife was the one leading worship this morning. I'm married to a powerful woman and I am proud of it, and I absolutely, like, just, I love seeing what God's doing in her. I love seeing her go farther with worship than I ever went. She's building this thing. She's taking it, and it's, it's taken off. And so, but I have a real heart for this, and what, for whatever reason, the majority of the church is okay with women having responsibility but not authority. Did that start too deep? I might have jumped in right, right in the deep end. Sometimes I say it, I'm not actually, that's what happens when I'm not feeling good. Just blah, sorry. All right, we're there now, so let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so often they're not. Uh, and, and I, listen, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, honestly, to a lot of you in this house because I see so much uh, of women empowered in this house. But I'm going to speak a little bit larger at large with the church And I believe that many churches at large are okay with women having responsibility, but not authority, um, except for in nursery and women's ministry. And in order to fulfill God's plans on the earth that he has called us to do, it's going to take both men and women. Um, I believe that we're running at half speed if we're trying to do it just men. It's going to take a powerful group of people to change this pattern. It's changing. It's changing in the secular society. It's changing in politics. It's changing all over. But for some reason, much of the church is hanging on to something that's a, they have a misunderstanding of a few scriptures. And so they hang on to them because it's either, it's, it sometimes feels easier to control someone than to empower someone. 
And that doesn't work. Try that with your kids. As soon as you're not around to control them, they go out and do what they want. And so we're called to empower, not to control. And, and so on this subject of women and powerful women, I believe that it's going to take a group of powerful people, powerful men and powerful women to begin to see this changing in the culture of church. And so I don't know if you're good, but I'm good to go for it. So let's do it. And let's just go ahead and jump right into the very beginning. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and I'm going to try to move pretty quickly because we don't have a whole lot of time. So Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, actually, let's just jump in a little farther down. We don't have to start there. Let's just go to verse, uh, verse 8. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the, Lord, from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Obviously, this is right after they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? How many know that the Lord was not, hadn't lost Adam and Eve? He has always been about response. He loves to call and allow us to respond. What do you think worship is? It's a response. And so the Lord says, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? You've eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Everybody, that is a powerless man. He's making a powerless statement. If Do not come up to me and say, if it wasn't for women. I've heard that one. I'm like, oh, let it go, buddy. Um, Verse 13, then the Lord God said to woman, why is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. That's a powerless woman. And I ate it. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. Jumping down to verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I want to stop right there for a second on this passage because I think this gets a little confusing. First of all, let's understand that the statement that was used right here that says that your husband will rule over you was a part of the curse. It's okay. You'll say amen by the end. I'm going to lay it out so clear. I really don't think you'll have an option. And if you don't want to, your wife's going to be like, hey, man. <laughs> it says, it said here, it said in, in verse, six, uh, verse 16, it says that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I think the first thing we got to understand is what this actually means. That word desire, it can be translated a few different ways. It's only used about three times in the Bible. But that word desire is not like your desire will be for your husband. Like, oh, I love you. The same word desire right there is the word that's used in the scripture that says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you. Same desire. Sin is not like <laughs> crouching at your door. I desire you. <laughs> Some people read this. They're like, well, man will rule over and she'll desire him. It's not what that passage means. That passage means that there is a desire for control from the woman. This is all part of this curse. There was a desire for the woman to control the man, and then there was the man would rule over the woman. And right there, the battle of the sexes kicked off. 
because there's a desire for her to control him, and he is going to rule over her. And then how many of you know that you ain't got to be all that smart to know that's not a happy marriage? You would be surprised how many people don't know that, though. And the, so here we are. Now things begin to get interesting between the man and the woman because of this curse, and the dynamics are beginning to shift in this relationship. Something interesting happens. In verse, we're still in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 20 says, And Adam named his wife because she would become the mother of all living. Now, this is something you could read right over, but Adam named his wife. I want you to catch something because when God put Adam in dominion over the animals, the thing that he did to begin to exercise his dominion was name the animals. Now, when God created woman, God originally named her woman. But when the curse came in and things began to shift, all of a sudden, as he began to exercise his rule and dominion and authority over woman, he named her. You with me still? When Adam named Eve, this curse was in full action. And now Adam was in dominion over her. And I want you to notice just something really super clear and obvious. God called this a curse. Because his desire for man and for woman was never to be greater. This was a curse. I'm going to make you say that. That's a curse. Sometimes when I preach this, and kind of get away from my notes a little bit, I can actually even feel in the room that some of your identity has become so strong in being ruled over that you're scared to even open up to the idea of this. Because it's become your, how many of you know that many people become comfortable in even dysfunctionality? And so I want to encourage you, first of all, I, I, I really want to try hard not to slay men in the process of lifting up women, all right? We need to have, you're going to find we need both, okay? We need powerful men. But at the same time, I, want, I really want you to hear my heart this morning because people get comfortable in what they've known. And I'm going to push the envelope just a little bit this morning on this topic. But I'll give you a scripture for everything. For whatever reason, many of us have accepted that Christ came to break the power of the curse for men. But how many know the blood of Jesus was great enough to break the curse altogether? There was no part of the curse that could survive it through the blood of Jesus. I'll say that again. There was nothing in the curse that when Jesus died and shed his blood that could make it through the blood of Jesus. It was dealt with. Okay? It's important that you get that. Like right off the top, it was dealt with. But for whatever reason, this has been one we've just not gotten far on. When the curse was released, I want you to recognize something. God was heartbroken. He was not, it was never his plan. It was never his desire. He was not sitting in heaven as many people might picture him as, a, as God and, and, you know, I'm angry at you and they screwed up and bam, curse you. It hurt him. It would have to hurt him that he would send his son to make things right. It hurt him. Every piece of it. He was heartbroken. 
because he always desired to see man and woman, woman walking together, equal, partners. And we see something really interesting. If you flip over a couple chapters, I want to show you something because we begin to see where God began to try to shift things back. Even before he sent Jesus, we see a really interesting picture of God beginning to try to shift things back where this changed. If you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 7, it says, And the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at that time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. How many know it's gotten bad when God regrets making you? And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. And with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what's going on here? God, God is really upset and he's, he's, he's doing a reset. But there's something important that the Lord says here in a couple scriptures later. If you jump over to chapter 8 in Genesis, verse 15. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but hang in there. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Uh, chapter 7, verse 7. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark. To escape the waters of the flood. I want, I want to give you an example here. So um, let's just do a couple. Of Tiffany, Jordan, Ashley, come help me out real quick. Um, so they're going on the ark, and I want to show you the order. So if, if Jordan was my son, you get behind him with Ashley. I'm trying to stay here. And so as they're entering into the ark, when God's trying to do this reset, it, it, it gives an account of how they walked into the boat, which is really interesting, right? God gives some, there's some accounts in your Bible that nobody catches. He gives an account of how they entered into the ark, and it said that Noah, with his sons, entered into the ark, and then his wife and his wife's and his son's daughter, however you say it, the, all the girls, <laughs> they entered onto the boat. Now, there's something interesting that happens. Hang with me one second, guys, because it gives an account of how they went onto the boat. But in Genesis chapter 8, verse 18, we see something that's really interesting. It says, so Noah, or uh, if I could read my own writing, we'd be all right. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, who said? God. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife. With your sons and their wives. So God, <laughs> so God gave them instructions, said, when you come off the boat, I want you to come off the boat, you and your wife together, and your son and his wife together. You guys can sit down. But in verse 18, it says, so Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his son's wives. We begin to see something where God was trying to reset something. He said, I don't want you guys to go off the boat the same way that you came on the boat. He had a heart to begin to switch things around. And he said, even though I know that your mind thinks men, then women, he said, I want you to come off that boat, come with your wife, and then your sons need to come with their wives. But what happened? Noah didn't listen. You still with me? 
So what did God do? He decided to take things into his own hands and completely reverse the curse by sending his son Jesus. God decided, hey, this is not okay. One of, one of the names that I continually highlight of Jesus was that he was the second Adam. What's the point? He came to make things right that the first Adam lost. He said he's the second Adam. When he comes, he's going to make it all right again. And so Jesus decided that he was going to take it into his own hands. And you want to know how, you want to know how God decided he was going to do it? He's going to partner with a little girl. You're going to get it. Hey, Jesus, God said, we're going to reverse this curse. We're going to put things back to how it was going to be. And it's going to be me sending my son, the Savior Jesus. But to do this, we need to partner with a little girl named Mary. (laughs) Have you ever taken just a second to even consider the fact that the future of all mankind was in the hands of, they say, a 16-year-old little girl? That's some pretty amazing responsibility that Father God would say, I'm going to put the future of all mankind in your womb. Boy, that'll preach. I'm going to say it one more time, that God would put the future of mankind in the womb of a little girl. A little girl plus Jesus changed the world. But let's talk about Joseph a second. Because Joseph was, how many, we have to understand that Joseph was a big part of this. Joseph, man, Joseph was really confused right up front. Because he's, all of a sudden Mary's like, Kellis, and I'm pregnant. But there's no guy involved. (laughs) Joseph's like, are you kidding me? But there's no guy involved. No, no guy involved. I don't know many guys that would believe that one. So the Lord was good, and he said, listen, we're going to have to send an angel. He's not going to believe me. He's, listen, that's, I can imagine, like, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son in heaven, like, that's a hard one. Like, I mean, let's be real, guys. That's a really tough one for her to tell him that and him to believe. Let's, hey, guys, we need an angel, like, now. And when you show up, show up big like an angel, like bright, burning, get their attention, and they know it's an angel. (laughs) And so here's Joseph, and Joseph, the Bible says, was about to basically step away from her, leave her. He was going to do it very respectfully. He was going to be honoring in how he does it. I don't think the Bible presented him as a picture of a jerk, but he was confused. He could have done so many things that were so much more harsh to her. He could have ruined her. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because there was something in him that was honoring. There was something in him that was, you know, I often think we don't focus on him enough because there was a piece in him that he, from the very beginning, he had a heart to do what was right. And so what happened? Joseph was getting ready to call things off. He was getting ready to put her away. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, listen, it's true. Really, no man was involved. 
I think the Bible's funny sometimes. I think it's okay sometimes to just get in these stories and realize how wild that must have been. And he's like, all right, cool. If that's what you say. This is a big moment because Joseph steps up big time. I want you to understand this. Joseph steps up. This is how we're going to see powerful women, is we need powerful men to step up. And Joseph had the opportunity to step away or to step up. And he said, I'm not going to quietly put away this lady. He said, I'm going to come into covenant with her, and I'm going to protect her. He makes in his heart a decision. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to empower you. And I'm not going to walk away on you. (laughs) The way that God does all this is really beyond even our, our ability to comprehend. He's breaking all the rules. Like God is, a, is absolutely breaking all of the rules. It was in a culture where people didn't even look highly at all upon a woman. And God says, that's fine. I'll put the promise in her. Leave it to God to put the promise, the answer to everyone's prayer in the person that no one wants to listen to. <laughs> He's done that to me so many times. I mean, like, we, like, yeah. <laughs> Just leave it there. Sometimes some people don't have the best delivery, if you know what I'm saying, on telling you stuff. And sometimes the people that constantly hit you in the head with a baseball bat, trying to give you a word from the Lord, you kind of sometimes kind of want to stay away. And isn't that so often the person that is really rough around the edges puts the exact answer that you need in their heart? And so here's a culture that has absolutely no respect for women. And the God says, I am going to put the answer for you in the womb of a woman. And we're going to change the world, baby. (laughs) And so here comes Jesus on the scene. And it was time to bring the ultimate reset. And restore everything to God's original plans. He tried to fix this thing with man and woman. He tried all the way back on the ark. He was just trying to bring back at least some respect and equality there. He said, listen, when you come off, this is a big, you know, this is what prophetic acts are about, right? We do things. They're prophetic. He said, I want you to do a prophetic act. I want you to step off that boat in a certain order. We're resetting things. They didn't do it. And so he said, all right, then I'm going to send Jesus and he will reset everything. Even Mary, her name, comes from Miriam, which means wisher. One of the meanings is wisher of children, but it also means rebellion. (laughs) God was starting a rebellion. How many know rebellion is not bad if it's the right one? He came to a woman that wanted children. I mean, her name meant rebellion. She probably was a feisty one. Note for all the young adults, just realize, all the young people, what you name your children tends to carry through. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You named your kids something, and then maybe you purposely did it, and then you came back and looked. That's what it means. 
That's why they do that all the time. Like, we named our kids pretty specifically, and, and sometimes we're like, man, was that the right name? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, warrior, yeah, definitely. Just trying to get him to clean his room. Warrior comes out, you know? And, uh, but <laughs> and, so, and so here it is. God comes to this, this girl named Mary, and she has in her DNA, in her literal name, she wants a child, and she, in her name, it's a girl that's okay with rebellion. And God said, I need you. I need someone that's not going to follow the beaten path because we're getting ready to change the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so Jesus comes and he begins to bridge this gap between the garden and heaven. Two curseless realities, the garden before it, the tree and then heaven. And he comes to begin to bring these back together. I want, to, I want to talk about that just a second because so many people are like, well, if the curse was broken, why are there still sick people? Right? We hear that one all the time. Why is there still sickness? Right? It's a good question. Let me just kind of paint it out this way. Imagine if there was a dictator that was ruling. And this dictator in this, let's just present it this way. There was this, this town and there was a dictator that was ruling over it. And then at some point, this dictator was overthrown. His power was cut off. His authority was cut off. His authority is a very big deal. It was cut off. But he had been dictating and ruling in this town for many, many years. How many know that there would still be the fingerprints of him all over that town? There's still, there's still the fingerprints everywhere, and it's going to take time to be able to get things straightened back up. The thing about the cross is, is that the cross was either good enough or it wasn't. There's no in-between. There's no way that we can say it was sufficient for this, but not for this. So you have to lock in, was it enough or wasn't it? The reason that we get struggling with this is because, well, there's people that are still sick. That's because it's our job to take what he did on the cross and release heaven into the earth. That's what cha Matthew chapter 6, I believe, in the Lord's Prayer. And he says it's what you need to do. And I find it funny it was the Lord's Prayer because he was teaching you how to pray. It's really our prayer. And he was saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have the responsibility to take what he did on the cross when he broke all power of, and authority of sin and clean up the mess. We clean up the mess. And so we see scriptures, and I don't have time to read them all, we just, but Galatians, write it down. Chapter 3, verse 13, it talks about that Christ came and he broke the power of the curse. We live in a world where the curse is broken. Amen? Yes. I'm not saying that there's no residue because that's why we see sickness. That's why we see pain. That's why we see hurt. There's so many things, depression, oppression, everything is an area. There is a residue. But the curse is broken. The power of sin was taken away. But it's going to take powerful men and it's going to take powerful women to bring restoration and that's what we're called to do we have the same call that Jesus had he came he walked the earth he came to make wrong things right 
I've often thought about it. Have you ever even considered the fact that Jesus walked the earth for so many years, 30 years, seeing the fingerprints of, of, of the curse everywhere? And it wasn't time. I meet people, man, they're so ready to be in full-time ministry, and it's like, it's, it's like, ugh. Jesus, he, 30 years of walking the earth, seeing the fingerprints of darkness everywhere. And it wasn't time yet. We begin to see a shift happening, though. We begin to see things shifting. We begin to see radical statements coming out of people, and I'm going to read a couple of them with you. It says in uh, Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, says, So in Christ Jesus, you are, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I don't think that's actually the right scripture. Yep. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. All right. So here comes the apostle Paul and he starts dropping these super revelatory bombs. He loved to push the limits. He's coming into a scene where there's still a lot of racism and sexism and all these different things. He says, listen, guys, good news. You're all children of God. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Good news. You're all one in Christ. Somebody besides those two people need to get that. You're all one in Christ. He said, this thing with the man and the woman, dude, that's over. It's over, guys. And he begins to speak these things. He begins to push these things. And you see something beginning to shift. <laughs> One of the things that I think we need to remember is that God was never under the curse. He never viewed man and woman different the whole time. It's not like God was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to before that happened. He never changed. He's like, that was never my heart. My heart was for you guys to have the good life, man. You can eat what you want. You don't even have to get dressed. You walk around naked, eat, have fun. It's okay. It's a lot of jokes that I can feel in the room right now as all the men look at their wives. But we're going to leave it right there. And God says, I had this whole thing figured out. And all of a sudden, man, it didn't work out. But listen, I never changed my feelings on this. So I'm going to send Jesus, and we're going to get this back. We need to get this thing back. we got to get away from this, this, you know, the woman feeling like she's under this curse. So what do we do? Let's, let's get to the fun part now. Because we need to know what we need to do. Because God doesn't look at male or female. He looks at Christ in you. Man, there is so much freedom in that statement. There's so much freedom in that statement. When people come up to me and they can't, have, they can't get into worship and they're like, I just feel all this stuff. Great news. He's looking at Christ in you. Okay, how do I say this a different way so that you get it? He has these really cool glasses. And when he looks at you, what these glasses show him is his son 
and he doesn't see all the stuff on you. He doesn't see all the failures. He doesn't see the letdowns. He doesn't see what you did 20 years ago. He doesn't see that. He looks at you, and if you've accepted Jesus in your life, when he looks at you, he sees his son. So many people get stuck trying to come into worship because they feel so beat down, and God's like, listen, I don't even see any of that. He's such a good dad. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the fun scriptures. A couple chapters over. Ephesians chapter 5. You still with me? I'm giving you all these scriptures because, number one, you need to go back and watch the video or listen to the podcast because I want you to have these. So when the whole point is that we can be people that can be equipped that when we see this, we can bring an answer to this. Amen. And so I'm going to take on a couple scriptures that everybody, everybody uses as, ammun as ammo. You know those scriptures that Christians shoot their brothers with? Okay, um, Ephesians chapter 5, let's go to verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Here it is, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Let's go back a verse. 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, so many people just don't go back one verse. Their whole doctrine would fall apart if they read the verse before their one verse. It's like, there it is. Next time someone says that, just say, can you read verse 21 too? And then watch the work. Shh, don't take my sermon. <laughs> my wife's like, and this verse. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, so then what's the deal? I love reading this one out of the Passion Translation. I'm going to read how Brian uh, translated this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 22, for wives, this means being supportive to your husbands like you are tenderly devoted to our Lord. <laughs> How many know that just takes away the feel of wives submit? For wives, this means being supportive to your husbands like you are tenderly devoted to our Lord Jesus. Okay. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. This is another one. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Well, there it is. Man's the head. I told you. I knew it. I, <laughs> I told you I'm the boss. Try that one, dudes. See how that one works for you. We'll give you a sozo after whatever she says back to you. <laughs> that rejection that comes all over you. We got sozo that one. But they're going to get to the root, and the root was that you said something dumb. <laughs> so, I said, all right, there it is. I said, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the head. I'm the head of my wife. I told you I'm the boss. The Bible says so right there in Ephesians. <laughs> Written by a man. <laughs> All right, come on, guys. Let's, let's, let's bring this here. The question you need to ask yourself is, what does it mean? We read these words. He's the head. And in your mind, you're like, well, he's the boss. That's because we've come up with this church language. Well, he's the, he's the roof over my head. 
It's actually the complete opposite of what that passage means. This passage particularly has nothing to do with protection or, or anything like that. This passage has completely to do with the term headwaters. It says that, that passage said, the head, the man is the head. What does it mean? Another word you could use there would be more accurate as he is the source. How many understand how a river works? There's a headwaters. People don't look at the river typically, and they see this river, and it's beautiful, and it's flowing, and it's all this, and they're like, oh, my goodness. I bet that the headwaters are beautiful. <laughs> like, what a beautiful river. What a beautiful river. Men, we are called to be people that are a source for women. That they can go out and they can shine and they can be empowered and they can be powerful women. And it doesn't mean that they're all looking back and say, there must be some great guy somewhere. I'm just here to be a source for my wife. Now, there's so much to this, okay? Hang with me. But it's not boss. It's not dictator over my wife. Men, you aren't the better version of your wife. You're the floor that they're standing on. And this is everybody, married, not married. This goes across the board. You're not their ceiling. If you are, you're probably what's in the way from them getting higher. You're not their ceiling. You're their platform. That they get to stand on and they get to just thrive in ministry. The Bible talks about this in Colossians. It talks about that it says that Christ is the head of man. Let me, let me ask you just a really simple question. When Christ is the head of you, is there anything you can't do? It says that he's in me and I can overcome all things. So when Christ is the head of my life, there's nothing that I can't do. So that's our model. He demonstrated it. Let me show you what it means to be the head over someone. When you're there, they should be able to do more with you than without you. I said that if we're doing it right, they should be able to do more with you than without you. This is where things have gotten really wrong because then we get into this whole piece like, well, I don't need men and I don't need women. No, we really do need each other. It's right here in your Bible. We do need each other, but we need it in a healthy way. We need what the Bible says about it. We need to be the source, empowering. Being the head doesn't mean being the cap. It means to empower. If we're actually being the head of our home, we're actually being the head of our family, everyone under your leadership should be more empowered with you being the head. If I was to, uh, I'm not, this is not going to happen. I don't plan to die, okay? But if I was gone, I would want my kids to be able to feel that I was empowered when my dad was around. I, want, I would want them to feel like since he's not here, there's something that's not. I would want someone else to feel that, but I would want it to be noticeable. Not, well, dad's gone and we can do so much more now. I would want my wife to be like, oh, he was such a source for so much. Not a cap. Well, thank goodness the cap's gone. 
This is so much, we've read these so far out of context, and we've used these words, and we've used these just few passages. And listen, people have taught this stuff, and people haven't known, and I'm not saying I've nailed it all, but I'm telling you what it as clear as I can what I see what the Word of God says. And it's that we're not called as men. We're called to support, empower, raise up, be a platform, but not to be a, a roof. Like when we say covering, it's not like, you know, you have to ask me for permission to do anything in the kingdom. One of the things that I can say about my relationship, and I'm going to wrap this up, is that I've gotten to the point where when my wife has something to say, I want to hear it. I'm very serious. Like, like to, even if we're counseling someone and she chimes in, it's usually like she gets more in one line than I got in an hour. And that's okay. But I want to hear it. I don't want her to have to feel like she has to look at me and be like, well, can I, can I, can I say something? You mind? I see some people, they look so beat down. I love... I love seeing little kids, and especially even just little girls. They're so full of life when they're little. They haven't experienced any of that stuff. I want to see a whole church of every age of women feeling that way. They just, they just, you see these girls, and they're like, they haven't had that. They're just empowered. They're full of life. They got dads, and they got kids' church, and they've got all these different things empowering them. There's so much more we could get into. We just don't have the time, but we, could, we haven't even covered topics like women prophets. And there's, there's a woman apostle that, that Paul talks about. And for what it's worth, he called her the greatest of the apostles. Just scratching the surface. I want to see us be a powerful people. I want to see us be a powerful church, raising up powerful men and women of God. And we're going to change this thing. Yeah. I said we're going to change this thing. Yeah. I, was, I was worshiping this morning, and, and the Lord gave me a word. He said, you, like, it was kind of like one of those, not a bad warning, but it was like a heads up. You've put something in motion that's not going to stop. Oh. <laughs> like, a, yeah. like something's in motion in, in, in this house, in this body, in this city that's not going to stop. It's like a big old snowball, and it's rolling, and it, it's not going to stop, and we're going to see it. We're going to see it, and I'm making a commitment to you as a leader of this house that we're going to see women powerfully raised up, and there's a bunch of you that are powerful already. It's not like you're not, but we're going to see it, and so here's what we're going to do. Let's wrap this up. All the ladies, stand up. <laughs> Sorry, I said all the ladies, and I heard a song in my head. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and you're not holy if you know what it is. It's for the non-married ladies. <laughs> the two is like, all oh, the single... Thank you, Jesus. All right, ladies. Young to the old, all of you. We honor you. Amen. Amen. 
We honor you. And I just want to call out the greatness in you. It's not my job to put it there. Holy Spirit, and Mary put it there. But right now, in Jesus' name, I speak to every lady that's standing in this room and all the ones that aren't here that are represented by all of the ladies that are standing. And I speak over you that the greatness that's in you would be released to its fullness. That you would begin to feel things in your heart, just begin to open up. I, even those of you that have been in, in ministry positions that were so, um, in a sense, so small for the calling that you had on your life. And sometimes the Lord will even, he'll use those to grow us. But maybe there was some demeaning positions that you were in that made you feel like you'd never be more than just this. I speak to those lies, any lies that you've been told, whether it was from someone in ministry, whether it was from a, a spouse or a child or a parent, I speak to those right now, and I just tell them to go back to hell where they came from. Those lies can go back. And I break them off of you right now, and the authority that we have in this room, I break it off you now, and I just I see it falling to the ground in this room, and it's gone. It's gone. And I pray that the Lord would begin to speak to you. I pray that you would begin to have a revelation in your heart and in your spirit of things that you never dreamed that you would get. I speak that every one of you, that you are a Mary, that you carry something special. I speak over you that you would do as she did. The Bible said that she pondered it and she treasured it. She kept it safe. She didn't leave it out there for anyone just to tear it apart. It was something she kept close, she kept dear, but she constantly pondered it. She constantly thought about what was in her womb. And I release that over you. I release it over you that you would be, I release authority. I, I, in the spirit realm right now, we just release authority in this room to every woman that is here. We release authority that we need you to advance the kingdom of God. We need you. And I bless you with strength. I bless you with strength as God begins to download things in your heart. The things that you have had in your heart. Some of you that I feel like I, even, I can see them like being stirred up. I can feel it right now in the room. Things are being stirred up. Things that you thought were gone. I, I don't know why I see this, but I see like a, like a, you know when like food gets on the bottom of a thing of soup and like you stir it up and like everything begins to come together. There are things that like had just, you thought were gone that have just kind of went down to the bottom. But I see the hand of the Father just stirring things up in your lives today. Wow. I see him stirring things up in your lives today. And I see all these different pieces that are coming to life. And I bless you. I bless you to be strong and powerful. And I, and I pray that the Lord would plant you exactly in the places he wants you for influence. Because you are influencers. You are influential. You are influencers. It's okay. Own it. You're, you're an influencer. I feel like this big, listen, some of you, I don't know what it might be. For some of you, your heart is just to influence your kids. That's fine. Own it. You're an influencer. Whatever it looks like in the place you're at right now, you are an influencer. So stand in it. Own it. It's who you are. 
I see women in here who are wearing armor that's not yours. Just like David put on the king's armor for the battle and it didn't fit him. And he couldn't do what he was made to do in that armor. So if you're feeling blocked, it's because you're wearing armor that's not yours. So take it off. Take it off. I feel so many women blame men for their cat when it's actually them wearing armor that's not theirs. So own it. Take responsibility. Take the armor off. Pick up your weapon that's made for you. Just like his sling and stones made no sense, your weapon may not make sense, but it's yours. So find your weapon. Find your purpose. Find your reason. But take off the armor. Stay standing. All the men stand up now, too. It's all the stand-up guys. Lord, in Jesus' name, I speak over all the men that are represented in this house that, that we would be a people that would be a prophetic community. This is what we want to see released in the earth right now, that there would be uh, the, the Joseph's father that would stand up, that would, in the humility and in the honor that is needed to be great, that they would be able to say, I want to be someone that empowers Ladies around me, I want to be someone that will protect and will be a safe place, but I want to empower. I come against any, I, I just pray against, uh, how do I pray against this? Uh, insecurities, but I, I can't pray against that. I got to give you security. So um, I pray that your identity of who you are as a man in the Lord would be released. That you don't need to diminish anyone to feel more manly because when you begin to walk in the fullness of who you are, you won't need anyone to diminish. You'll want to see people empowered. So I speak to all of the men in here that if, if there was anything in you that felt like it had to belittle someone to feel greater, I speak that the Lord would fill you right now with his spirit and his fullness of, of your identity right now, right now. Fill them in, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, as a community, we stand here, and Lord, we ask you that we would begin to see, Father, just the beginnings of waves of your presence going through the body of Christ, seeing women empowered, and the powerful men as well. Father, we love you. We just want to be an accurate representation of you, in Jesus' name. Amen.